many people born like Kyle uh, are, are not able to accomplish half of what he's accomplished, if any of what he's accomplished. Many people with far less severity of setbacks are far more limited in what they can achieve. As I watch that video with you, I'm going to tell you what stands out about Kyle there is his spirit. His spirit. Because of his spirit, he has no hands or feet, yet he's able to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Listen, I'm not uh, in the best shape right now. If you sent me to the base of Mount Kilimanjaro and said, go up there, boy, about halfway up, I think I'd be gasping for breath. And how many of you are with me? It'd be tough, right? And I have hands and feet. And there he is with nubs climbing to the top of a mountain. Then he moves on to an even higher mountain in South America. And his spirit allowed him to be able to do that. Turn over to Proverbs 18. I want everyone to see this verse. Uh, if you would, please turn over there. Proverbs is right in the middle of your Bibles. The book of Psalm and then the book of Proverbs. This uh, week I was preparing for the sermon. And while you're turning your way over there, uh, I'm in no way complaining. But I've had one of those weeks that's tried my spirit. All right? I started working on this sermon probably Tuesday morning, maybe Monday, Tuesday morning. And, man, all week long, it's like God saying to me, you're going to learn to practice what you're preaching. You're going to learn to have the right spirit. I'm going to throw some difficult things your way, and I'm going to see if you can maintain the right spirit. And I've had some challenges hit me this week, and as I was laying in bed one night, I'm laying there, got my head on my pillow. It's that, you know, it's that five to ten minutes where, sometimes longer, where you're trying to fall asleep, you know, and... And I'm thinking about my sermon that I'm in the middle of, this sermon here I'm in the middle of preparing. And I just, um, I got to thinking about Proverbs 18, 14. And, and uh, in the middle of my thoughts, I said, wow. And Angela said, what are you saying wow for? And I said, uh, of all of the verses that Solomon put in Proverbs, at this moment, this one is hitting me the hardest. This verse rings so true. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 14. If you don't have this verse memorized, I would encourage you to memorize it and study it. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. This man is born without feet and hands, yet his spirit in his infirmity enables him to be able to climb to the highest elevation in South America. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. Look at the rest of that verse. Read it with me. But a wounded spirit who can bear. If you have a wounded spirit, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. Imagine that um, I walked up to you. I'll pick a man here. Let's say, imagine I walked up to, uh, let's see, Aaron. I'll pick on Aaron over here, all right? Imagine I walk up to Aaron, he's not looking, and I'm having a bad day, and I'm angry, and... And I just haul off and I reach back and I just sucker punch him as hard as I can right in the arm. I mean, I get him flush right there in the arm. And, and I hit him so hard that the next morning he's got this massive bruise from his elbow up. Because, you know, I'm Mr. He-Man pastor and I popped him real good, right? And, and the next day I see him and, and he doesn't know I'm behind him. And I come up behind him and I poke him right where I punched him. You know what it's going to feel like when I poke him? It's going to feel like I punched him again. It's going to hurt almost as much with a poke as it is with a punch. Now, if I walked up to him the first time and just poked him, he'd say, hey, what'd you poke me for? Some of you in here this morning, you have a wounded spirit. And all it really takes is somebody doing that right there. And it hurts. It hurts. Hey, why'd you look at me that way? Hey, hey, hey why'd you say that to me? Someone else can have the same thing said to them and they just shrug their shoulders and say, well, they must just be having a bad day. I'm going to cut them some slack. But to you, it sends you out, out down this spiral of pain and suffering and hurt. Some folks accomplish great things for God. Other folks do nothing for God because some folks have a spirit to do great things while others don't. And on Sunday evenings, we're going through the book of Joshua verse by verse. Soon we'll get to a story in the book of Joshua about a man in his 90s named Caleb. Caleb was in his 90s and Caleb said to Joshua, he said, you see that mountain over there? He said, 
there's some enemies living on top of that mountain. He said, that mountain's going to be mine and my son's. He said, Joshua, give me that mountain. I want it. It's mine. And this 90-year-old man went charging up the mountain at these enemies. And he took them out and he claimed the mountain to be his own. Now, I remember being a young man playing uh, King of the Hill. King of the Hill. I love that game, King of the Hill. You get one guy on top of a mound of dirt and everybody's trying to pull him down. And because he's in an elevated plane, it's hard to get him off. He can kick you. He can push you. And, and uh, we, you know, we, we played real boy games when I was younger. I wasn't bubble wrapped like kids today. Amen. Uh, Brother Manny, I got kicked in the mouth a couple of times playing that game. It's probably good for me. But uh, there we were playing King of the Hill. And you know what? Caleb's coming up the mountain. He's in his 90s, but he overtook the enemy. Why? Because of his spirit. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmities, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Many people suffer uh, a wound to their spirit in their childhood or in their developmental years, and as a result, they never learn to overcome. They may be saved and they may be surrendered, but they struggle with maintaining the right spirit. Well, what does the Bible instruct us to do when we have a spirit of defeatism and a spirit of pessimism and a spirit of immaturity, a spirit of immorality? What does the Bible tell us to do? Go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, look at verse number 23. You see it there? It says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice that word renewed. Be renewed. Hey, we're to take off that broken sideways spirit and we're instead to put on a renewed spirit. Uh, we're to renew that spirit. I was speaking with Nick down here a couple weeks ago. Nick is a mechanic. He works at a... Don't, now, don't go to him and ask him to fix your car. Amen. I... Sorry, I gave up your secret there, Nick. But Nick's a mechanic, and uh, he works at a local uh, dealership here. And he was telling me about a car that got brought into him, and uh, he got got to going over to certify the vehicle. You ever gone to a dealership and bought a certified used vehicle? Nick is the kind of guy that will certify the vehicle. And he pulled up the driver's seat to get to the battery in this particular car, and what he found is there was water that had just been uh, left stagnant underneath that seat, and it was hours and hours and hours of pulling out the wiring and rewiring the car and getting to where it was just right so it would work. Some of you had an accident happen to your spirit. Maybe you were abused in some way or uh, mistreated in some way. Uh, maybe you had somebody say something to you that hurt you and you've never really truly recovered and your spirit's just bent and sideways. And you know what you need? You need the Lord to come and pull that driver's seat out and pull all that wiring out and rewire your heart, renew your heart, certify you, and make you new all over again. I find myself as a pastor looking at people and saying, if I could just reach in their head and tweak this mental thought and tweak this mindset, boy, I could get them to overcome and I could raise the ceiling of potential. The Bible says we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Paul put it this way in Romans 12. He said, be not, be tra uh, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we are to have our minds renewed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see the Lord one day, I want to know that I was ready for the Son of Man and that I lived my life ready to preach the gospel and that I lived my life ready unto every good works. But in order to stay ready, we must renew the spirit of our mind. We must learn to have and keep the right spirit. Ephesians 4 and 5 teach us exactly how to do this. These two chapters, Paul is going to lay out a methodical step-by-step -step process on how to get and keep and maintain the right spirit. Uh, maybe you cannot overcome some secret sin. 
Maybe you've got some secret sin that's just got you all wrapped up and you're afraid to tell anyone to get help. And uh, maybe you've even told people and you just can't overcome it. Maybe it's some drug that you just can't kick. Uh, marijuana is becoming more and more of a problem in our culture. And let me be clear here that I view marijuana as something that will kill your brain cells and will hurt you in the long run. I don't think a Christian should be on marijuana regularly. The Bible says that we're to be sober minded and that the Holy Ghost is to lead us and guide us. And when we're suppressing our feelings with some form of a a depressant type drug, then we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to renew us and make us over. So maybe it's a drug that has you. Maybe it's a liquor bottle that's got a grip on you. Maybe it's a sexual lifestyle that you know is inordinate and doesn't please the Lord. Uh, Maybe it's your mouth that gets you in trouble. A curse word slip here and there. A dirty joke slips here and there. Maybe it's a gossiping attitude or a complaining spirit, but something about you has a grip on you and you think, Pastor, I'm aware of my sin. I know that it's there. I've been battling it for years. You say, but I can't overcome it. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There are others of you here, you march to the beat of your own drum, you don't like being a team player, Uh, you are off always doing your own thing, Uh, you're a soft rebel at at best, you're a hard rebel at worst, and uh, you don't want to go with the flow, you don't want to be a team player, You, you, you cannot find it in you to do that at home or at work or at church, what do you need? You need to have your mind renewed, the spirit of your mind renewed. Maybe you cannot break fellowship or friendship with those who are leading you in the wrong direction in life. You have friendships uh, that have got a grip on you and you don't know how to let them go. You don't know how to break away. What do you need? You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, when we come to the Lord with a saved heart and we come to the Lord with a surrendered heart and then we couple those two things with the right spirit, we can climb any spiritual mountain. It does not matter what defect we have. Man, I watched that guy in that video climb that mountain. And again, you're getting a 30-second clip of what took him hours and hours. You don't understand. He's bear-crawling his way up that mountain. You understand that he said he had towels with duct tape wrapped around his, his, uh, his, uh, uh, his nubs there. Can you imagine the next morning waking up, the cuts and the bleeding and the healing? You know what a lot of people would have done? They'd have thrown in the towel and said, no, this isn't for me. But that man said, nope, I'm going to have the Spirit and I'm going to overcome it. You say, Pastor, I don't have the talent or skill of someone else. Pastor, I didn't have the upbringing of somebody else. Pastor, I I don't speak English quite as clearly as someone else. Pastor, I'm limited in this way or I'm limited in that way. Pastor, I have this sin that has a grip on me and I cannot overcome. Pastor, this reason or that reason. My friend, if that young man with his nubs can climb to the top of that mountain, you, my friend, with the right spirit can climb to the top of your spiritual mountain. We must get our spirit to the right place. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. And look at verse 18. You must begin by surrendering your broken spirit to the Holy Spirit so that His fruit can be manifested in your life. Look at verse 18 there. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Read the rest of that verse with me. Ready? But be filled with the Spirit. If I walked up to a fruit tree uh, at peak season and it had apples or oranges or pears, whatever kind of tree it was, I would say that tree is Filled with fruit. I want the Spirit's fruit to be filled in my life. Go back to Ephesians 5, look at verse 9. Look at verse number 9 here. What does it look like when we're full with the Spirit? That's some fancy theological term. Let's get practical here. Look at verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all. Read these words with me. Ready? Goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Now, goodness is just that behavior toward others that is uplifting and edifying. It is the uh, God, the goodness of God that comes flowing through us onto others. Righteousness just simply means that right standing with a relationship with God. If my children have done something wrong, uh, there is an unrighteousness in our relationship. There is a brokenness in our relationship. But when my children are 
behaving. And uh, all of a sudden now, we're on good terms with each other. And so righteousness is that good terms, that right relationship with God and truth. It's where we get away from deceit and lies. Uh, where we're not lying to others, but we're also not lying to ourselves. We're walking in truth. Our identity is wrapped up in Christ. Now, when these fruits of goodness, righteousness, and truth live within your spirit, hear me now, hear me now, you can overcome your past. You can overcome your past. Pastor, I was sexually abused as a child, you say. You can overcome that. You can overcome that. Hear me now. We have a world filled with psychology that wants to turn everybody into a victim. Everybody. And my friend, I'm not trying to minimalize what you went through in your childhood. But I am trying to say this. Overcoming is a choice that you must make. And you can make it. You can make it. Pastor, I can't do it. Yes, you can. You're either going to be a victim or a victor. You're either going to be overcome or you're going to overcome. You can conquer your fears. You can overcome your past. You can live victorious for Christ. I want us to take Ephesians 4 and 5 this morning. And I want us to see what God's Word says about having the right spirit. If you've got a bulletin on the way in this morning on the back, flip that over, you find a fill-in-the-blank outline. To our guest today, let me encourage you to take notes. To everybody today, let me encourage you to take notes. In fact, this is the type of sermon that some of you will need to look at in great depth beyond just this morning. And I want you to turn this into a Bible study. So fill this out and go back and later look at this and study it and let it help you. Number one, take notes. Notice number one, a spirit of meekness. A spirit of meekness. Look back at Ephesians 4 and look at verse number 1. Now Paul wrote this. He said, I therefore, notice this next phrase, the prisoner of the Lord. The prisoner of the Lord. Notice Paul's starting point. He identifies himself as a prisoner of the Lord. A prisoner. He sees himself as having no right to anything. No right to anything. He is a servant... Now, listen to the wording here. He sees himself as God's doulos. That's the word in the Greek. That word means slave. The word prisoner, translated here to prisoner, the word is the word doulos. And it means slave. He said, I am the slave of God. You know what slaves don't have? They don't have any rights. You know what a slave does? Exactly what he's told. And Paul says here, I'm going to have a spirit of meekness. I am a doulos. I am a slave. I am a servant of the Lord. Now, just like an ox takes orders from the master as he wears that yoke out in the field, we are to have that strength, that power under control. His spirit is one of meekness. Why? Because the Lord's Spirit is one of meekness. The big, strong ox doing the work on the farm does just as he is commanded. This is the attitude that we get from Christ. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I love Philippians 2. One thing I've been working on in my life, um, Philippians 2.1, Philippians is my favorite book of the Bible, has become that over the last couple of years. Philippians 2.1 Let nothing be done, nothing be done through strife or vainglory. I told my wife yesterday that my takeaway from the couples conference is that idea of let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Think about that. Now, nothing through strife. Sometimes you think, well, I had to get on his case to get him to change. I had to get on her case to get her to change. I had to confront in a way that was nasty. I let him have it. I told him. My friend, that's not power under control. That's just power unbridled. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Letter A, we see, how do we do this? How do we embrace the mind of Christ? Letter A, we see lowliness. Lowliness. Look with me at Ephesians 4. Look at verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Look at this next phrase. Read it with me. Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness. Stop there. With all lowliness 
and meekness. Lowliness and meekness. Hey, church, this is the opposite of our culture. I uh, was riding around town the other day and I saw a girl walking down the sidewalk wearing a hoodie. And on her hoodie it had a giant Playboy logo. Bible, Solomon in Proverbs talks about those who wear pride around their neck like a, a, a pride around their neck like a chain. You know, look at my pride. I'm proud. And I thought, young lady, you're going to advertise that you are or want to be pornography. We're 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 promoting our sin. We're wallowing around in the mud pit of sin and we're acting like it's, it's the hip in thing to do. We have a culture now that every June wants to put on the calendar Pride Month. Now stop, stop for a minute and think about that if you're confused on this. Pride is the number one sin that God hates. And they don't even hide it. They just come right out and say, we're celebrating Pride Month. Only by pride cometh contention. The Bible says, Yea, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination. Number one on the list, a proud look. A proud look. First John 2 says, uh, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The pride of life. And my friend, the world wants to push you toward being proud, being filled with pride. And God says, no, if you're going to have the right spirit, then you need to learn to have a spirit of meekness. And if you're going to be meek, you must learn to embrace humility and lowliness of mind. How do we get there? How do we get there? It begins by setting Settling, uh, setting aside an entitled attitude. Look at Ephesians 5 with me, verse 20. We're to set aside an entitled attitude and remember that you and I deserve nothing but hell for our sin. Once we fully and emotionally embrace this truth, anything I have is a gift from God and I can be grateful. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Giving thanks always for all things. Years ago, I heard my dad preach a sermon on humility. And he made this point. He said, When you get to a place where you understand that you deserve hell and nothing better, then you'll be thankful for even the hardships and problems in your life. I don't care which one of you in here is in the worst place in life right now. Everyone in hell would trade places with you in an instant. In an instant. Because they're falling through fire and they're hurting. They would swap with you like that. You say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through right now with my marriage. They would trade places with you in an instant. You say, Pastor, my child's rebellious and breaking my heart. They would trade places with you in an instant. And when you understand that you deserve hell, and every day that you're not there is a good day, you know what? You learn to embrace lowliness. Well, I don't like the way he looked at me. Yeah, get over yourself. I don't like the way she talked to me. Okay, all right, at least you're not falling through hell. I don't like the way he preaches. I don't like what he preaches on. You know what? Uh... I I think the people in hell would swap places with you and sit and listen to me preach instead of what they're going through. We must get to a place where we give thanks. Now, I can tell you, it's easy to give thanks over things that I like. You know, my my son comes to me and gives me a $5 gift card to Dunkin' Donuts and says, here, Dad, I got this for you. You know what? I can give thanks for that. Thank you, son. I'm so thankful for you, son. I'm so thankful for that gift card. But how about when someone runs into the back of me? Can I give thanks for that? What if my wife were to get into a car accident and become a paraplegic next week? Can I give thanks for that? What if a child of mine was diagnosed with cancer, terminal cancer? Can I give thanks for that? I can't if I'm dealing with pride. 
But when I have a spirit of meekness and I'm walking in lowliness and I see myself as his doulos, his prisoner, and I understand that my duty is to glorify him and serve him, I can walk in meekness. I can walk in lowliness. How about Matthew eleven twenty nine? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I, Jesus said, am two things. He said, I'm meek and lowly in heart. I'm meek and lowly in heart. God's not calling you to do something that he didn't come down and do himself. You're to be meek and lowly in heart. What happens when we're meek and lowly in heart? He says, ye shall find rest for your souls. Not for your body. Amen? You get that from sleeping. But when you walk in meekness and lowliness, you get rest. You know what happens when we walk in pride? We have unrest in our soul. But when we walk in meekness and we walk in lowliness, we find that rest for our souls. Jesus promised blessing on those who embraced humility and meekness. Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And in Matthew 5, verse 5, 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 5, he said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. When you walk in meekness and lowliness, you earn God's blessings on your life. Boy, we're going to have the right spirit. It begins by embracing a spirit of meekness. Letter A, lowliness, but Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 2, that we're to walk in long-suffering, long-suffering, a spirit of meekness that's manifested in long-suffering. Look at Ephesians 4, look at verse number 1. With all lowliness and meekness, look here, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. A man or woman who is meek is willing to put up with others even when they are difficult or selfish. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in what, church? The bond of peace. Say that with me. The bond of peace. The end goal is not to be right. Rather, the end goal is the unity of the Spirit and to maintain a bond of peace. Now, this does not mean that you lay down and let people run you over. Uh, this does not mean that you should uh, just uh, uh, be a, a noodle back or give up your backbone. Uh, no, you should stand your ground by standing up to poor behavior, but do it with a kind spirit. And then once you stood up to poor behavior, give that person space and grace to grow. Look, uh, turn over to Colossians 3. You're in Ephesians. That's two books to the right. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3. They're short books. Should just be a handful of pages. Colossians chapter 3. And look at verse number 13. And, and if you want a verse on unity and, and peace, I can't think of a better one in the Bible than Colossians 3.13. Everybody see it there? Now, if you have a pen... Let me encourage you to circle two words in this verse, all right? And you'll see the words in just a moment. Look here. Here's how we get to unity. Here it is. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Circle those words, forbearing and forgiving. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man or woman have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Forbearing and forgiving. Now, the word unity, I'm going to tell you what most people think of when they hear the word unity. They think that everyone has to be exactly the same on something, right? They're in unity. They're exactly the same. Can I tell you that I'm not even in unity with myself all the time? I'll wake up one morning thinking one thing, and by the time I go to bed, I've changed my mind. All right? Anybody else do that? Okay? And then I go back the next morning, and I'm back to thinking the way I thought the day before. And, and I, I can't, I, I'm a walking contradiction sometimes, amen? And so uh, uh, for me to expect that everybody in this room is going to get in a straight line in every area of belief and thought, and we're going to dot every I the same and cross every T exactly the same, that will never happen. Are we together? How many of you here think that uh, chocolate ice cream is better than strawberry ice cream? Raise your hand. How many here prefer strawberry ice cream? You see the discord in the church right now? Man, we're about to have a church split right here over ice cream. Okay? You see what I mean? 
This is not realistic for us to get everything in order, right? Some people love singing more than preaching. Some people love preaching more than singing. Some people love to open up their wallet and give to the Lord. Other people find it hard to open up and give to the Lord. Some people are really good at giving thanks. Other people have a hard time muttering one word of praise during a church service or even in private. We all bring, and we'll get into that in just a moment, we all bring different things to the table. Unity is not that we're all the same. Unity is two words. Unity is forbearing one another and forgiving one another. When you can learn to forbear someone else's differences and not throw the book at them or get angry with them, and you can learn to forgive someone who's wronged you, you have learned what unity is. What is a church that's unified? It's a church of mature believers who knows how to forbear each other and knows how to forgive each other. When we do those things and when we do them well, we walk in unity and we have a bond of peace. Amen? We must learn long-suffering. Long-suffering. I love Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says this, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, or lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. I love the qualifiers here. If it, You know, sometimes it's not possible to live peaceably with somebody. All right? Someone says, have you met my spouse? (laughs) That's how she feels toward you. Amen. All right. Uh, If it be possible. You know, that word long suffering is this idea of a long fuse and uh, long fuse before the bomb blows up. And, you know, you, you wrap the fuse around the house like 30 times, and then you bring it inside, and you run it up and down the stairs 25 times, and you run it in and out in the bedrooms. And, and finally, you know, you put that bomb right there, and that fuse gets lit. And the idea is that you'd be able to stomp out that, that lit fuse well before the bomb goes off. But, man, some people really know how to try your patience, and you think, okay, we've gone around the house, we've gone up and down the stairs, and we've gone... Th- you need to leave me alone because this bomb's about to go off. I mean, you ever been there with somebody? You know, I've been as patient as I can be with you. And sometimes it's not possible. If it be possible, as much as life within you. Listen here. You need to make every effort possible to get along with people. Now, let me tell you why most of the time we can't. In fact, I'm going to tell you why you can't get along with people all the time. I don't like the words all and never. I've learned those don't work very well in marriage. Amen? All and never are terrible words in marriage. Uh, how many married people have figured that out somewhere along the way? Say you always or you never. Uh, those, those are bad words. You don't use those words in marriage because that's just not true. But uh, uh, all, um, I don't like the word all, but I will use the word all right here. Let me tell you where all, all problems, all relationship problems come from. Here it is. Pride. Pride. You say, Pastor, do you have a verse to back that up? Yes, I do. Only by pride cometh contention. You're having relationship problems. Somewhere in there, there's pride. We need to learn to walk in loneliness. We need to learn to walk in long-suffering. Letter C, we need to learn to have a spirit of love. A spirit of meekness that's manifested in lowliness and long-suffering. I love when the Bible alliterates itself. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, and forbearing one another in love. In love. Look down with me at verse 15 of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now, there seems to be a tension that exists between the extremities of truth and love. Love wants to avoid confronting someone's wrongdoing. Truth wants to get in someone's face about their wrongdoing and see them brought the justice over their actions. And Christ calls us in the spirit of meekness to make the two work together. We're to speak the truth in love, in love. Some things are harsh and just can't be spoken in love. You ever had someone say, well, I just speak my mind. I just tell it like it is. And you know what? I'm never going to apologize for saying what I think. I just remind you what the book of James says. Let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Quick to hear. Uh, You know the saying, right? God gave you two ears and one mouth because he wants you to listen twice as much as you some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I have no idea what that is. I just talk all the time. You know, sometimes it's not okay just to let someone have a piece of your mind. 
There have been times for me and Angela in our 16 years of marriage. Praise God, we've got a great marriage. and Especially after going to the couples conference. It's even better, amen? Shameless plug for next year's couples conference. But uh, God's really given us a good marriage the last several years. We've been uh, just on an elevation we've never been to. And uh, now that I've said that, we'll probably hit rock bottom tomorrow, amen? But uh, we've been doing well for many years now and, and grateful for that and thankful. But, you know, through our 16 years of marriage, in full transparency, we've had some ugly moments. Now, some of you are looking at me all pious, like, Pastor, we never have a problem in our marriage. Oh, shut up. Yes, you do, okay? Everybody has problems in their marriage. But me and Angela have had times where we just weren't really getting along very well, and bickering and arguing and back and forth, and, and um, uh, text threads that, you know, go on and on. And I remember one time I was a, a new employee at um, a church. I was an assistant pastor. I've only been there for a few months. And iPhones were still sort of a new thing. And they come out with a new update to where, you know, on the text messaging thread, if you could hit a microphone button and you could record a voice memo that gets sent out. Well, I put my phone in my shirt pocket and I just got through texting the pastor. And I put my phone in the pocket, thought I'd turn it off and I hadn't. And her and I, man, we got into a knockdown drag out fight that went on for three or four minutes. And, and I mean, we're just letting each other have it. And, and uh, I'm telling her how wonderful she is. And she's telling me how terrible I am. I mean, no, it's probably the other way around. Uh, but uh, man, we're just having it out with each other. And I pulled my phone out of my pocket and the entire thing had been recorded. Recorded right there for my boss, and if I hit the wrong button, it was going to send him our entire argument. He said, Pastor, what did you do? I said, Angela, don't breathe. <laughs> and I very carefully deleted it, and he didn't get it. And I maintained my job. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. But we've had our times, we've had our knockdown, drag out arguments. And you know what? In that argument, I'll think to myself, if I can just get this point across, then I'll, I'll, I'll win. I'll win. And so I'll call her or I'll text her or I'll go back to where she is and I'll yeah, lay out the point. And you know what? Sometimes I'm right. But what I have learned is that you can be right but be wrong in the way you say it. I love what the speaker at the conference said. He said, I've never one time gone to my wife and told her how terrible she was and how wrong she was and had her look at me and say, Oh, thank you, honey. Because of your spirit, I'm all good now. I want to do right. It just doesn't work that way, does it? It just doesn't work that way. We need to learn how to speak the truth in love. You know, sometimes there are certain truths that you just don't need to speak. You just don't need to speak. I had a guy come up to me, and uh, he I guess he was feeling insecure about himself. He came up to me after church one Sunday morning, and I had preached a sermon that I think probably hit him between the eyes a little too hard. And he patted me on the stomach and said, Boy, I guess you need to lose a little bit of weight, don't you, Pastor? And I, you know, looked at him like, you know what? I probably do need to lose a little bit of weight. But you're not exactly speaking the truth in love, are you? Some things just don't need to be said. Amen? Here's the other end of that extreme. Some things need to be said, but you are not willing to say it. You need to be able to speak the truth in love. In love. What are we doing? We're walking in meekness. We're walking in meekness. Look down at Ephesians 4, verse 31. We're speaking the truth in love. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I'm going to get into verse 32 in just a moment. The obvious application of this verse here or interpretation of this verse here is that if you have bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor or evil speaking in you, you need to put those things away. You need to get rid of those things. But can I give you an application to the verse? That's the interpretation. Let me give you an application. Some of you in your childhood or at some point, maybe in a broken marriage, a past marriage or somewhere along the way, a boss or a person uh, used their tongue and and they attacked you, and they poured out on your head bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor or evil speaking, and it has warped you, it has damaged you, it has hurt you, it has stunted your growth, and you're not these things, but you've been deeply affected by these things, and you need to put them away from you. You need to no longer let them affect you, and you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look at verse 32. Be ye kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, 
hath we're given you. We're choosing love. We're choosing a spirit of meekness. We're choosing uh, lowliness and long-suffering. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And read this next phrase with me. Ready? Walk in love. You see that? We're not walking in obligation or duty. Uh, We're not walking in some sort of metric-based system. We're walking in the love of God. And look at what the Bible says here. This is a beautiful word picture. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, For a sweet-smelling Savior. Now, as God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, what happened? Because Christ so sacrificially loved us, that brought an odor of wonderful smell into the nostrils of God. When God... When Jesus loved us, it smelled good to the Lord. Now, when you go and you walk in a spirit of meekness and you're loving the world around you, what ends up happening is that fills the nostrils of the, our Lord uh, up with that sweet-smelling savor. You ever, you, ever, you ever had your wife, men, men, you ever had your wife walk into the room and she's put on your pa- favorite perfume? And you, you smell that and, ooh, just, it makes you in, in, endear yourself to her that much more. Ladies, you ever had your man put on that nice smelling cologne that you got him and you think, oh, 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 that's my man. (laughs) Guys, we need all the help we can get, don't we? All right. Some of you could use three or four cologne bottles. Praise God. Now, when you are busy loving others, that's a sweet smelling savor. God endears the Lord to you as spirit of meekness. We're going to climb these spiritual mountains. It begins by setting pride to the side. It begins by embracing a spirit of meekness. Number one, the right spirit, a heart that's ready, a spirit of meekness. Number two, notice a spirit of maturity, a spirit of maturity. Go with me to Ephesians 4 and look at verse 15 here. It says, but speaking the truth in love, read those next three words with me. Ready? May grow up. Grow up. All right. Look down with me um, toward the end of 16 there. It says there, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Look at this. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So Paul is saying here that not only do you need to embrace a spirit of meekness, you need to embrace a spirit of maturity. A spirit of maturity. You need to mature in the Lord. I like 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. It says this, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Hear me now. Hear me now. There's nothing wrong with being immature. Nothing. But there is something wrong with staying immature. There ought to be a natural progression of growth that takes place once we embrace a spirit of meekness. Now, I, I, let, me, let me see if I can set a visual here for you, okay? This, this sermon is a progression of thought. So, imagine with me here that you, you want to get to the pinnacle... Yeah, we got some feedback there. We, we want to get to the pinnacle. Zach, can you take my mic down just a hair, my friend? We want to take our pinnacle. Uh, we want to get to the pinnacle of that mountain like that boy did, the, the young man did there in that video. Okay, the first set of steps that we have to learn to first climb is that stairs, that staircase uh, of, of a spirit of meekness. You see, you the rest of the sermon is not going to matter to you at all until you learn to embrace lowliness, and long-suffering, and love. You see, some of you, that's the starting point, is you're filled with pride, you fight with everybody, you're, you're filled with turmoil on the inside, your spirit's never right, why don't you just first take that step of lowliness? You know what? I'm going to leave here today. My determination is to go from being proud to embracing uh, lowliness. And then I'm going to uh, work on long-suffering. I'm going to learn to be patient with those around me. And then I'm going to learn to walk in love and live in love. 
That's the first staircase. What happens when you get to the top of the first staircase? Then you can begin to look at staircase number two. And that's this idea of maturity. You can look at growing up in the Lord. You can look at that, that, that progress that you'll make. Letter A, notice diversity. Diversity. Diversity in our maturity. Look at Ephesians 4, verse number 7. Quickly here. Now, we need, we need to hasten. Verse 7. But in every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, that's exciting. Look, I like getting gifts. All right. I think everybody here likes getting some kind of if it's the right gift, everybody here would like that. If I had a gift out in the lobby with your name on it, and you open it up and there's a suitcase with ten million dollars in it. I think you'd like that. Amen. I would like that. I think you'd probably like that. So uh, everyone likes gifts. What kind of gifts is the Lord giving out? Look down at verse number 11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So, how is it that you mature? All right? You take, okay, you're back here in the, in the auditorium. We have a baby, all right? Um, is he here or did, did he get taken out? He got taken out. Okay, he was crying, so they took him out of the room. Uh, but that helps make my point. Uh, this is uh, M- M- Montserrat and uh, her and, and John uh, have baby Jaime. And we love little baby Jaime. He's a sweetheart, a sweetheart and I got to pray over him back in December. But... Uh, little Jaime here, he's got a lot of potential inside of him. Does he not? But it's unrealized, untapped potential at this point. How old is Jaime? Five months old. Okay. You know what? When he's five years old, that potential is going to be a little bit more realized. And then when he's 15 years old, it's going to be even more realized. And then when he's 25 years old, it'll be yet even more realized. And by the time he gets to be 45 years old, he'll probably get toward the pinnacle of all of that potential that he has uh, working itself out. Do you know what a baby needs to go from uh, having uh, untapped potential to fully tapped potential? Hear me now. He needs adversity. He needs pushback. He needs challenge. He needs Failure, And when we have that, we learn. Uh, A child learns how to crawl before he learns how to walk and then learns how to walk before he or she learns how to jump and run. Now, let's say that a child is going to mature in, um, let's see, in uh, music. All right. Maybe that child learns how to whistle or sing and then maybe learns how to play an instrument. Maybe a child goes through the adversity of going to school for the first time and running into different personalities and temperaments and learning how to navigate those things. There's adversity there. And through that adversity, there is a maturing of a diversity of things that help brings about the person as a whole. We need that adversity in order to mature. Now, how about in a local church body such as White Oak Baptist Church? We must also have diversity. You know, not everyone here is called to do the same thing. All right, have you ever heard the phrase, too many chiefs and not enough? I haven't heard that phrase before. All right, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. If you're like 12 and under, you probably haven't heard it because it's not politically incorrect. Not politically correct anymore, but too many chiefs, not enough Indians. You know, um, too many cooks in the kitchen, too many, too many spoons in the pot, right, that idea. And at our church, I'm, I'm thankful that we don't have a church where everybody's trying to control the pastor And what he does, the Lord is able to lead the pastor and then the church follows the pastor. I've seen churches where that wasn't the case. But, you know, not everyone can be the senior pastor. And not everyone is called uh, to uh, to uh, be a life group leader at the same time. And not everyone's called to lead the choir. Not everyone is called to be a deacon. Not everyone is called uh, to serve in, in, in any one particular role. No, God has given each one of us a set of gifts or abilities that you receive the moment you got saved. And you are to work those things and mature those things so there can be a diversity of gifts within the church to accomplish the greater good. Letter A, diversity. Letter B, development. Development. Have you ever seen an adult in his 40s or 50s that had the mental or motor skills of a small child? What would you say about that, that, that person? You would say that he has a mental development disorder, right? A mental developmental disorder. And there are many Christians who've been saved for a long time, but they seem as though they have a spiritual developmental disorder. And they get ticked off over the 
dumbest little things. And, you know, they just, they haven't grown much. They haven't developed. Now, we're going to read a passage of Scripture in just a moment. But let me, let me illustrate it this way. If I take baby Jaime and I give him a, a three-course meal, I mean, he's got, he's got uh, uh, lamb chops and asparagus and he's got mashed potatoes and he's got a Coca-Cola to drink and uh, he had an appetizer first and then he's going to have, you know, um, let's see, uh, uh, a churro for dessert. You're going to kill that baby. You understand that? He's not, at five months, he's not ready to handle a three-course meal. How does he get there? He has to have the milk of his mother, and then he grows and develops. Now, I'm going to make, uh, well, I'll save that application for just a moment from now. As he develops, listen here, as he develops, what happens? He gets teeth in his mouth, and then he learns how to eat. Now, if you're going to develop, you have to learn how to take in the milk of God's Word. It's important. What is the milk of God's Word? It's a devotional. It's a life group lesson. It's a sermon where someone has taken the Bible and broken it down and they're feeding you. And you know what? You take that in and you take that in and you take that in and you develop and you grow and you develop. Then you begin to develop your own spiritual teeth. Then you open up the Bible and you're able to consume it. It's that development. And I want to ask you this morning, how long have you been saved? All right, are you where you ought to be? If I looked at my 13-year-old daughter and said she's acting like a 3-year-old, I'd say, you know what, we have reason to be concerned. Some of you have been saved 13, 15, 20 years, but you're acting like a 3-year-old in the Lord. There's reason to be concerned. It's time for you to embrace the spirit of maturity. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 12. Look here. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till, till, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. Now, these things ought to be our end goal in spiritual development. It ought to be that you and I want others who are around us to become more mature as a result of having spent time in, my, in our presence. It ought to be that uh, we want the work of the ministry of God to be accomplished through the strength that He gives each of us each day. It's not just about making money at work and, and, and taking care of our homestead. No, we want to see the work of the Lord move forward. It ought to be that we want the church or the body of Christ to be edified or built up because of my spirit of maturity. It ought to be that we want to develop a place where we embody the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. You say, but pastor, I had this or that happen in my childhood and I just can't climb that mountain of maturity. Look at Ephesians 4 verse 23. Ephesians 4 verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Letter C, we see the word discernment. Discernment. Now, discernment, all right? Okay, you have a woman who gets pregnant, and she's a, a drug addict. She's a heavy drug user. And then she gives birth while having done drugs through her pregnancy. Then she takes that baby, and she begins to nurse that baby. You know what that baby is? That baby's a drug addict. Do y'all understand that? There's a bunch of spiritual baby drug addicts today. And you know where they're getting their drugs? They're getting their spiritual milk through places like YouTube. They're running to some YouTube preacher who's sensational, who sounds good, who's far more handsome than I am, and probably even far more articulate than I am. And man, you just can't get enough. Can I warn you about getting on YouTube or TikTok and scrolling through 10-second clips of somebody preaching something out of context? You know what that is? You're becoming, you're becoming a spiritual drug baby. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 14. We need some discernment about what we believe, about our doctrine. Paul said here, as we mature, he said that we henceforth 
Be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Get yourself to a church. Uh, uh, embrace that church, make that pastor your pastor, let him teach you the Bible. Listen, do I have all of my doctrine right? I think I probably have most of it right. God, I'll get to heaven and God will straighten the rest of it out. But get in one place and be one with that body and learn to uh, understand the Bible uh, through that. Let the pastor be the authority that teaches you the Scripture. Quit running to other sources to let them teach you or tell you, listen, we need to know the voice of our shepherd and we need to follow our shepherd. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says we need to quit being blown around by every one of doctrine. But this is not just about doctrine. This is also about our relationships. Discernment our relationships. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you, look here, with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You know, there's some relationships in here that some of you just need to snip and cut. You need to let go. There's some people that you were friends with in high school. And because of their mouth, you can't get control of your mouth. There's some follows on social media. Some of you need to unfollow. And some of you need to uh, maybe even block. Uh, it wouldn't be bad, and this is my opinion, it wouldn't be bad for some of you to just get off social media altogether. Uh, but, but there you are, attached to the world and the darkness, and you can't mature because you have others pulling you down and holding you back. You say, Pastor, I want to mature for the Lord. Well, again, we're going to climb the first stair, uh, staircase and we're going to take on uh, uh, lowliness and then long-suffering and then we're going to take on their um, uh, uh, love. And then we're going to get to the second staircase and the very first step we're going to take on is diversity. We're going to look at maturing in a whole bunch of different areas spiritually and then we're going to step up and develop as a result of that. And then we're going to take that next step up and we're going to be discerning and who we let feed us spiritually and who we spend time with. Who we spend time with. Uh, I told, uh, I told uh, uh, someone in counseling recently, I said, uh, some friendships just need to be let go of organically. You slowly uh, begin to go a different way in life and one of you goes this way and the other one of you goes that way and you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I remember in high school, the girls would write on their folders, they'd write, B-F-F-L. B-F-F-L. And I thought, in bubble letters, right? And I thought, what is B Best friends for life. Ah! Right? <laughs> and then like a year later, the two girls can't even talk to each other. They hate each other's guts. You know what I mean? And sometimes, sometimes, when we're walking with the Lord and we're walking in the light, we can't have fellowship with darkness and these relationships. Some, some of you here are torn. Your loyalty is to a friend that you should have let go of a long time ago. And you need to cut. You need to cut. Hey, listen, for some of you here, it might be a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They're not letting you become all you should be for the Lord. And you say, but pastor, I love them and I don't want to let them go. Where does your loyalty lie? Discernment. Discernment. Number three. Lastly, let's look at a spirit of morality. And this is the last staircase that we're going to climb. Quickly here, we'll move through these quickly. Letter A, we're going to put off corruption. We're going to put off corruption. Look at Ephesians 4, verse number 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness or uh, depravity uh, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But uh, ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ that ye 
put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now, here's where we, many of us want to start. We want to hop into this thing of, of being uh, uh, the right spirit and we think, you know what? I just need to rip off all the old behaviors and everything will be great. But please understand that this is a process we get to. We first learn to walk in the spirit of meekness and then we learn to walk in the spirit of morality and then naturally we begin to take off the old garments of sinful living. And we decide instead of living like the devil in the world, we're going to live for the Lord. Look down at verse 20, uh, 25. Ephesians four twenty-five. Look at the sinful living we're taking off. Wherefore, putting away lying. You know what? When you're guys, I know I pick on the men a lot for this because it's a major issue in our church. And I'm just going to keep hammering away. When, 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 you, when you are looking at pornography on your phone and then deleting your, 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 your search history... Or using some web browser that your spouse doesn't even know exists on your phone. You know what you're doing? You're walking in lies. It's time to put away lying. Look here. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Hey, ma'am, those transactions that you're making in cash that your husband doesn't know about, so you can buy things that you want because you're maxing out a credit card and he's had to take that away from you, you know what? Put away your lying and learn to walk in truth. 26. Be ye angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. We're to put away wrath. We're to put away anger. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But let him labor. So we put away uh, 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 stealing and we put on hard work. Working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. We're taking off the garment, the old garment of corruption. And instead, we're going to put on letter B. We're going to put on the garment of Christ's likeness. We're going to put on Christ's likeness. Look with me at Ephesians 4 verse 20. It says there, but ye have not so learned Christ. You claim to be saved, but you're still living like the devil in the world. You've not learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him and the truth is in Jesus. So what exactly is it that we're to be doing? Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's some broken mentalities that need to shift that ye put on the new man, which after God created in righteousness and true holiness. So we're putting off the old man and we're putting on the new man. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Look down at verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become its saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish jet talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, which is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You want to walk around in your sinful living, my friend, you're walking around in filth. Are we embracing a spirit of morality? Let me finish the sermon this morning in James chapter number 4. I have referenced throughout the sermon that this is like a staircase. One staircase leads you to another floor and then on to another floor and then on to another floor. Can I tell you what's wrong with most churches and most Christians? Pastors want to clean up the outward appearance of someone without dealing with the inward appearance. Look, look up here at me. I know you're finding James Ford, but look up here at me for a minute. If you come to this church and you dress modest... And you know how to carry your Bible. And you know how to say amen in the right places. And you know how to pray. And you know how to teach a class. But you go home and you're watching filth on TV. And you're filled with pride. And you're mean to your spouse. And you're difficult at work. You show up late to work. You know what? You got everything out of order. And you know what you are? You are a textbook hypocrite. We've got to learn to embrace meekness first. And in that meekness, we'll find maturity. And in that maturity, then we'll be ready to tackle morality. Let me show you that staircase out of James 4. Look with me at verse 6. 
I'm going to read these verses, make a couple of comments, and then we'll be done. Look here. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, look here at the meekness, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. There's that lowliness. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You see the spirit of meekness there. We're submitting to God in humility. We're embracing His demeanor, that meek and lowly of heart. The spirit of meekness. Notice next, the spirit of maturity here. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. See the spirit of maturity? I'm pushing away from the devil, and I'm building that relationship with the Lord. Now look at the spirit of morality. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Hey, listen. Some of you have been wallowing in self-sorrow and defeatism long enough because your spirit is broken. You cannot have a heart that is ready until you have the right spirit. You say, Pastor, what kind of spirit should I have? A spirit of meekness? which leads to a spirit of maturity, which leads to a spirit of morality. I don't know where you're at in this process, but I want to encourage everyone to take one step further up that staircase for the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Do you have the right spirit? Do you have the right... Sometimes, some of you, your marriage has struggled because you, your spirit is wrong. Some of you uh, won't pass out a gospel tract because your spirit is wrong. Some of you won't pray because your spirit is wrong. Some of you won't sing in church because your spirit is wrong. Some of you teenagers make bad grades in school because your spirit is wrong. You can't get along with your parents because your spirit is wrong. Pastor, where do I start? Embrace the spirit of meekness. How many here today say, Pastor, somewhere in this sermon, I've identified where I'm at on this staircase. I know where I'm at and I know what I need to do. Pastor, pray God will give me the courage to take that step. If that's you, hold up your hand. I know where I'm at. I know where I need, what I need to do. I know